It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Bear. This is your Monday rewatch after Ohio State's 35 to 16 win over Rutgers on Saturday for the 9 0 Buckeyes. I said it on the post game pod that we were going to save the Travion Henderson discussion. Until Monday, Nathan, we did a video about this, just the value he brings to this team. I thought a couple of things that were interesting in watching the game and also just you had two negative plays on Saturday, yep. which when you're talking about this run game, I know that's like it's not the biggest thing in the world. But given where this run game was three weeks ago, the fact that in the run game, you're starting running back who carries the ball 22 times, only had two plays go for negative yards. I think that's something, and that's a credit to both him and the offensive line. Yeah, um, and listen, Rutgers is a better pass defense, pass defensive team than a run defense team. Like it just is; it has been all season. But it's not a bad run defense. And I thought that what we saw yesterday was, to me, a step forward from where this run defense was, where this running game was earlier this year. I mean, you know, Maryland is a is a stronger run defense, but they're in like the same, I don't know, sort of in the middle of the Big Ten. Maryland this year averaging 3.28 yards allowed per carry. Rutgers 3.69 after what Trevian Henderson did to them yesterday. And and obviously Ohio State didn't have Trevian Henderson when it played Maryland and when it was having so much trouble running the ball, when it had so many carries as we talked about at the time, like how many 2-1-0 one negative one one two carries like and yesterday you saw a real departure from that you saw a pretty consistent churn in the running game and it's it's one of those things where it's like I I feel like right now we're in this weird place as far as how we're trying to talk about this team because you want to say well that's exactly what you need to do in three weeks against Maryland or against Michigan. Uh, but also this is obviously a, a team that's nowhere near as good as Michigan. Like it's, you have to take it up to yet a, a, another realm, but then there's other things that um, if they didn't do them well, it's like, well, it's a catastrophe because now they can't do that against Michigan. So uh, I think you have to take this as it's, it's all been about progress. It's all been about recognizing 
where this team's talent was at the start of the year and where its deficiencies were at the start of the year. And then how do you build and, and repair and, and fix those deficiencies? And I think they're doing it with the run game. I think the run game is, is becoming more reliable and more consistent. And the next couple of weeks are going to be against teams that are, are, not even of the same caliber as what they just saw, you know, Minnesota and, um, and Michigan state also kind of middle of the pack. Really. They're kind of more, they're, they're in the same range. So now, now I think that's where you, maybe you take your comparison. Like, do they go out and do the same two things this next two weeks? Like, can they go out and flatten these next two opponents? But it's also very clear that it is, it, it seems like it's a combination of both things that we've been waiting for. It's the offensive line sincerely blocking better and providing a better skeleton for this thing on a on a down to down basis and then Trevian Henderson running like the guy we thought the thing the, the guy that he was promised right the guy that they were mm-hmm. hyping in the off season this is sort of what that was supposed to look like i think you're seeing him run in a really tough way it's two weeks in a row where i think he's taken like some shots and he just gets right back up and he's ready to go and but then also, and I think you commented on this during the game as we were watching, just like uh, in real time, like the, running with kind of the right kind of hesitation at times, like the the vision is better. Like the thing that you've been yeah. waiting for three weeks, like when is Trevin Henderson's vision going to kick in or is that just not a skill that he has? And I think conclusively these past couple weeks, the vision has been better and it's looked better in some ways even than it did early this year when we saw it. I think it always felt like the first two years, if he got to the second level, he could be amazing. But he was trying to force himself to the second level, whether it was bouncing it outside or trying to hit a hole that wasn't there. And so it became this almost boomer bust thing with Travion Henderson, which is that's not where you really want to be when you're trying to be a workhorse back. But the way he's running now, he's had at least 20 carries the last two weeks. There were I remember there were blatant times, both in the rewatch and live, where He wasn't just trying to zoom through the hole. He got the ball. He was patient, chopping his feet, waiting for the hole to open up. Sometimes he would bounce outside. Sometimes he would hit the hole. But it was patient, and it was like, okay, if I do my job first, hit the hole I'm supposed to hit, and then get to the second level, that's where I can be Travion Henderson. And it's taken some time. I think Kevin Wilson used to say, you got to hit the singles and doubles if you want to hit the home runs. We've called him a home run hitter so much that if he's not getting grand slams, then he's not effective. But now it's okay to get on base, Travion. It's okay to have a run that goes for, you know, four yards, four yards, five yards, five yards. And I'm saying that because that's actually what happened. His fifth run was four yards. His sixth run was five yards. And he had a two-yard run, a one-yard run, then an 11-yard run, a three-yard run, and a five-yard run. Then he had the run that went for nothing. But everything was building up to run 17 to 27-yard run which is what Wisconsin was a week ago, where it's like, okay, just keep hammering at it, keep hammering at it, and then eventually the big runs are going to be there. I want to bring up this example. 2019, in terms of production, talent, is such an outlier. And when we talk about a team that relied on its run game and its defense. But with the way this defense is playing and the way Travion Henderson is starting to run the ball, it's... I don't want to say the ceiling is as high for either Travion Henderson to be J.K. Dobbins or the defense to be what a defense that had Chase Young and Jeff Okuda on it. But can the approach be the same? 
where in these bigger games, if you remember back in 2019, they gave the ball to J.K. Dobbins against Penn State, against Michigan, against Wisconsin. They were giving him the ball 30 times a game in those games, and he was toting the rock at a high level while the defense was playing at a high level. Should Ohio State use that that year with what they did with J.K. Dobbins and what that defense was, should that just be their approach for the rest of this year? Because I, we've talked about it at length now. I just don't see Kyle McCord taking that step. And it's, it's, he was probably never going to do it this year. Um, I think it's a fair question. You know, and I don't know if you're doing it because of the 2019 template. I think it's more mm-hmm. just about what are the strengths of this team. And mm-hmm. it's an interesting crossroads to be at because we came into this season saying, is Ryan Day going to do what he did, what he said he was going to do, and then what he did follow up and do? going into the Georgia game last year and like kind of let it loose a little bit and let the passing game carry him, carry the team. And it almost, I mean, there it's one point, like they almost, yeah. it almost won them a national championship and most likely because they probably would also beat TCU, obviously. And, at the same time, now we so should we as observers stubbornly expect him to now revert and do the same thing against Michigan, or do you have to dive head first into what it appears to be the the real strength of this team, which is to if 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 this continues for another couple of weeks, um, you could argue that they need to um, attack with the running game. Um, now having said that, I think that what you're also seeing from Trevion Henderson, because one thing that was happening earlier this year was if you threw on first down and, and were incomplete and, um, or haven't, you know, or even worse, you know, got sacked or, or, or lost of yardage on a hold mm-hmm. or whatever, you were really up against it. Now with Trevion Henderson, you get more options there. If you throw in first down and it's incomplete, I think you can, can you can safely run the ball on second down and expect reasonably that you're not going to get caught for one or two or zero or negative yards. I think you're going to confidently think you can come out of that at third and medium. And that while that doesn't give you as many options still of what you do on third down, as far as the run pass balance. I don't think you're probably going to keep the ball on the ground there very much unless it's in plus territory, but I think you're also, it also opens up what kind of pass you need there. And it gives you some, some shorter range, higher percentage options. So things like that, like that, that things you maybe don't even realize. I remember watching Saquon Barkley run for Penn state back in the day. And I'm not comparing Trevin Henderson to Saquon Barkley because Saquon Barkley is about, the the best darn thing I ever watched play football in college. Um, but how many times he would take a play that was supposed to be a negative play and make it zero and how, like how, how, how integral that is to raising the, the, the ceiling of an offense. And Trevion is not doing that right now. It's not that he's getting pinned back and somehow he makes it something, but it's, it's almost a, it, it's like the mirror image of that. Cause now, now that they're giving him any gap, any gap, he's turning it into something more than what this offense was getting from, from the same look earlier this year. Um, and honestly, they really weren't even getting the same look that many times. They weren't getting these gaps. They weren't getting this kind of blocking and, and this kind of openings into the second level. So 
I'm starting to think that like, you know, the natural, our, our natural analysis of this, especially coming into the year would have been, okay, all of this is set up so that by week 12, you go in, right? You're going into Ann Arbor. You're not going to be tight. You're not going to be, you're going to be confident. You're going to be loose and you're going to let it go. And I think that's going to maybe from a mindset perspective, that still has to be true, but I don't think right now that means they're going to throw the ball 40, 45 times at Michigan because uh, number one, it, they don't need to right now. I mean, it's almost like, it, you know, make Michigan prove that they can beat this balance and that they can beat a running game. They can def- defend the running game and Marvin Harrison Jr. led passing game simultaneously. If this running game can continue this, if they can keep all these principal pieces healthy and and keep blocking this way, and Trayvon Henderson can keep building on this vision. That balance is probably going. It's definitely going to have to be how you attack that. I think as I was watching this game, that's the conclusion I came around on when thinking about the Georgia game. There's mindset, and then there's approach. Mindset dictates approach. And last year, really, with C.J. Stroud as your quarterback. Your mindset was all it needed to be be aggressive, be, be aggressive, be aggressive. But the way it showed itself was going to be in the pass game. And you can say Georgia game, you can say Utah and the uh, Rose Bowl the year before that. You can say Michigan State games, you can say the Oregon games where you threw 54 passes. I'm going back to 2019 again. So, uh, once again, I think, first of all, bringing up Saquon Barkley in this conversation, I think it's perfect. I mean, people at some point in Travion Henderson's career when he first got here, his nickname was Baby Saquon. And it wasn't about him being as good as Saquon Barkley. It was the way they could use him. Because 2017, Saquon Barkley, 217 rushes, 54 catches. So he was used as a weapon in the pass game just as much as he was as a runner. And we can get into that as well in this pod. But to the point with the, the, the 2019 thing, Justin Fields threw the ball against Clemson 46 times. I did not know that until I looked up the stats this afternoon. I didn't know that because when we were covering the game, it felt like they were just feeding the ball to JK and it was working. And then JK obviously hurt his ankle. So it changed well, things. But the early approach was get JK Dobbins the ball and be explosive with the run game. And that was working. Yeah. So there were, there were, two explosive plays by J.K. Dobbins in that game, one that got to mm-hmm. the end zone and one that some, some semi-famously did not. But those 47, that was when Ohio State still was very heavily using the passing game as an extension of the run game. And they, I don't know that they've used it as extensively yeah. as that since then, both in terms of some of the screen mm-hmm. stuff, but then also certainly what they were doing out of the backfield. And, and um, I had a conversation with Ryan Day in the hall. We can just go ahead and transition to the receiving stuff for Trevion, I think. So after Ryan Day finished mm-hmm. his press conference, because he was talking about the play, the 65-yard play that really flipped this game and kind of put it away for Ohio State. And he called it a check down. So when he got out in the hallway, I was mm-hmm. like, hey, just so I'm making sure I understand you. like, you're, So that was a pure check down. Like that wasn't – because we had even joked about it in the press box. Like, oh, it's all, it's like a middle screen, but you just didn't block for it. <laughs> and obviously, mm-hmm. Which obviously was a joke. Like that's obviously not a thing that you do. But he said, like, no, it's it's they ran a four verts concept. And then at that point, Trevion and Kyle both have to make the same recognition simultaneously, which is what uh, is is are they in man or are they in zone? And Mm -hmm. if if it was in man, then Henderson has another route that he goes out and runs. Right. 
But if it's zone, mm-hmm. then he just turns around and sits in the zone. And it, it was pretty early in the in the progression. So there were probably routes that were still unfold. I mean, we don't have, again, all 22, and I don't have the photographic memory to remember um, what happened in real time. But I'm sure there are routes still developing. But I think that Kyle McCord and what he... what what, I guess I'll just cut to the chase. Ryan Day spoke very almost like you got a vibe of almost excitement in that conversation I was having with him in the hallway of what transpired on that play. Not just because it ended up being a 65 yard play, but because that they synced up and made the right read and then turned it into that. And there was a lot of other things that happened on that play. Um, Trevion caught the ball. It was only about a five yards in the air. So Trevion mm-hmm. then has not a lot of blocking in front of him at that point. He has to make the first thing happen on his own. And there's three Rutgers guys coming, but he just gets around all of them. That's the speed. And now he's gone. And then down the sideline, he got a good block from Emeka Buka. He got a good block from Julian Fleming. And that's how you end up at the nine-yard line on the other end of the field. But Ryan Day was like super excited about it. And the, the example that he used, and I think I said this to you guys on the field. I don't remember if I said it in the did I say it on the podcast last night? He said it was, um, he's like, oh yeah, Brett Favre and Adrian Peterson used to do that all the time. Like I tell those, I tell those guys all the time, like Brett Favre and Adrian Peterson used to do that a bunch. I'm like, oh, is that like where you got that? He's like, no, no, like a bunch of people have done it. But like, that was like an, an example of it that is like stuck out in his head that like you run those, those vertical concepts and then it just leaves and, and, and because it was Adrian Peterson and this was early in Adrian Peterson's career when, when he played with Brett Favre in Minnesota that I don't think people thought of him. Maybe they weren't giving him that respect, but um, it's kind of maybe almost working the same way with Trevion because his freshman year, he was such a weapon out of the backfield as a receiver. Mm -hmm. I think it was like, what, 27 receptions? And then he went a year and a half and caught like seven passes. Like it was an afterthought. They weren't even doing checkdowns. Now, now CJ Stroud didn't check down. Like (laughs) the C and CJ did definitely not, did not stand for check down. Like he didn't need to because he was laser show. And by the way, uh, he's taking it to the NFL in a real way right now. And it's it that needs to be something that people when they're when you're when you're analyzing what's going on right now with Ohio State's passing game, um, go watch highlights of of Houston uh, Tampa on on Sunday. But I think it could be like this might this is an important thing that's happening right now. This potential like marriage between because Comicord doesn't do what CJ Stroud does as a downfield passer as a as a as his baseline. He can make good downfield throws. He has made good downfield throws. He's made some really nice sharp downfield throws at times this year. It's just not his strength to the level that it was CJ's strength, especially by the time his second year came around. So but but you have such a, a massive weapon just sitting there in Trevion, in open field, anytime you want it on those checkdowns. And that could really be a weapon. If defenses, if defenses have to start overcorrecting to take that away, maybe that is the thing that opens now something in the in the next level for for Kyle Court. I'm just there's there's still three weeks for this to develop into what it could be by the time that Michigan game comes around. And I think what has happened these last two weeks with Trevin Henderson as a receiver could could be massive when we look back three weeks from now in Ann Arbor. Trevion Henderson had more productive in the past game against Rutgers on Saturday than he had the entire year last year in eight games. He had four catches for 28 yards and a touchdown all last year. And I'm pretty sure all 28 of those net yards came on a 
30-yard touchdown catch against Maryland at the end of the season. On Saturday, five catches, 80 yards. All five of his targets were caught. 66 of those yards came after after the catch with the bulk of that I'm came coming on that 65-yard catch. I think Kyle McCord's not pushing the ball down the field. And it's hard because we don't have the all 22. So you can't always just say, oh, Marvin or Mecca or Julian Fleming is open. And he just missed him because, you know, guys leave the screen. We're watching the television broadcast just like everybody else is. So it's hard. But there are times when you're watching the game and we're there where it feels like, oh, Marvin won and he didn't get the ball. Oh, Julian Fleming's like open and he's not getting the ball there. But Kyle, McC- it's not that he's not throwing the ball. He's just he's checking it down. I thought he checked it down more in this game than maybe some other games in the past. But he was checking it down to Travion Henderson, who was then doing something with the ball. And I think I texted that to the Texters. Get the text 614-350-3315, two-week free trial, 399 after that. But if Kyle McCord's going to check it down a little more often than we've come accustomed to seeing from Ohio State's quarterbacks, then the running back better be able to make up for that by doing something explosive with the ball every so often. And I think that's where Travion Henderson can be just as dangerous in that, okay, Kyle McCord missed on what maybe could have been a 40-yard game. Fine. But Travion Henderson caught the ball out of the backfield and took it 27 yards. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I know where you're going with that. I agree with some of it. Um, I do think that there is, there, you know, there, there's something happening with Kyle McCord right now too, where, and maybe it's the ankle that, that factors into this a little bit. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's the fact that Emeka Buka isn't fully back. Like he looked mm-hmm. okay on Saturday. I don't think I don't he think was. He looked, I don't think he looked great. I don't. I don't think he looked healthy. I thought he he looked healthy enough to play, but not healthy enough to be Emeka Buka. Yeah, he looked okay. He looked okay. Yeah. Like he needed to get back out there. I mean, he'd been out a month. He needed to get yeah. back out there and get into it. And they're playing again. One of the Rutgers was one of the is one of the best pass defenses in the country statistically. Yeah, like they just are. Um, mm-hmm. I know they haven't played uh, Michael Penix every week, but it's it's nine weeks into this. They have played some of the good Big Ten teams. They're they still rank statistically one of the best de- pass defenses in the country. Um, but there is I I it everything we've always said about whether Comacord needs to be amazing in order for Ohio State to win, whether he needs to be some vision of quarterback greatness for Ohio State to win its biggest games is still true. Like if that that was never what we based our um pretty optimistic expectations for this team on. I do think that they're in matchup games. There's only so many times you can lay those leave those yards on the field. Um I think and and again it's 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 both like boy it's really coming up on it and then it's also like well you do still have like two full weeks to like to to and and then plus then into Thanksgiving week right you've got two more games that you're preparing for and then you prepare for for Michigan so that's a quarter of your season still left out there to make some pretty significant improvements maybe um but i think there it, it, that there is there does have to be a refinement there like there has to be he can't leave those huge plays out there repeatedly. I'm not saying he even does it repeatedly, though. I'm not saying it's been a, a chronic thing all season. But it's happening often enough that you don't know how many times that's going to come up. Maybe here's, I'm sorry, here's my shorthand of it. It's going to, there's going to be less of those opportunities against Michigan. 
the thing that's happening right now is you're playing some teams where it gets around to it eventually. Um, Rutgers actually maybe being one of the exceptions, like again, a good secondary at Rutgers, but like, I know that there were times when Marvin Harrison Jr. was open. I know they showed a very obvious one on the game broadcast that he didn't take. And you don't regret that against Rutgers because you can win the game in so many other ways. You may regret it. You may very well regret it against Michigan because that may have been, if this game is as tight as we think it could be, like that may have been the one that opened it up for you. So that is something that they, both things have to be true. I think this, I'm really rambling a little bit here and I apologize, but like the foundational stuff that we're talking about, like what Trevin Henderson can be to this running game, the way this offensive line is blocking, all those things, I, all of that is is absolutely critical to your chances of beating Michigan on November 25th. But you can't miss your opportunities with Marvin Harrison Jr. And the reason we know that is because C.J. Stroud had to get like every single last opportunity out of Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. to win that Penn State game last year. And it's it's going to be potentially a very similar situation. Like it, you you, it, it's it's a thin line to walk. I think sometimes as much as I think the checkdowns are a weapon. I don't think it's a I, – I think it's not a – it it negates it if you're giving up something bigger that was there for the taking. I, I think my my problem with – I'm, I'm fine with the rambling because I'm, I'm trying to figure it out too, and I think we're figuring it out in this pod because he's, he's tied for 11th in the country in yards per attempt. So it, it's you would almost have to know, go back and rewatch every game and see is this a problem or is this just something that was magnified – against Rutgers and if that's the case those are two totally different conversations because I don't know if it's been a crazy it's almost the way we talked about the defensive run game at the time I don't know if it's actually a problem when you're still top 15 in the country in yards after 10 but I think the point is still valid that it needs to be a one-off if it is a one-off and not the beginning of a trend because you are going to Michigan's coming and yeah. potential playoff teams are coming. So th- the point is still valid. I just don't know if it's a trend yet just because it happened in one game. I also don't think they were that creative in trying to get Marvin Harrison Jr. the ball on Saturday. Until late. Just thinking, and, yeah, and, and I, don't think that's, oh, I don't think that's a problem. Listen, yeah, listen, <laughs> I'm not coming back. I know that people are used to just obliterating Rutgers. Ohio State is better than Rutgers. Ohio State beat Rutgers by 19 points in its own stadium on Saturday. Um, A couple of points I want to make. I already made the one about how good Rutgers' pass defense is. I think that's legitimate. They were actually missing a couple of starters on defense, so including a nose tackle who's pretty good, although they have decent depth there. But um, I know that, again, I think people at, at times have seen in the past where in Ohio State quarterback or an Ohio State offense will go up against the Iowas and the Wisconsins and other defenses that are highly ranked and still just kind of lay waste to them. Um, By the way, that happened last year against Iowa, but along the way, a couple of things happened. C.J. Stroud fumbled the ball Mm -hmm. and was returned for a touchdown, and he threw an interception over the middle of the field, although that was actually a pretty good play by a linebacker. That was actually more reminiscent of the Wisconsin interception, the second one that McCord threw last week than the one he threw against Rutgers uh, on Mm -hmm. Saturday. But Rutgers is a legitimately good pass defense, legitimately well-coached and decently stocked with athletes' pass defense, and they had two weeks to prepare for this game. Those things kind of matter as I'm trying to analyze – exactly what happened there 
And I understand that there's people out there who have who have who have doubted McCord and who have had some reservations all along. And we have documented some of this these past several weeks, whether it was some of the the ball security in the pocket, whether it was some of the decision making on passes. Like we we have documented those things. But I also don't think I saw things on Saturday, nor have I seen things along the way that that make him the barrier to being able to win at Michigan on on the twenty fifth. Um, especially because of the caliber of the guys he's throwing to. Okay, a couple more offensive things before we take a break here. I think my only issue with the Marv stuff, according to PFF, he was in the slot three times on Saturday. I think, and maybe this is my fault and not an actual problem, but I think I've, Marvin Harrison in the slot, talked myself to death with it to the point that anytime I see him in the slot, I expect him to just get the ball. And I don't think that's fair. So maybe that's a, a me problem, not an Ohio State problem. But we made such a big deal of, out of it being a weapon that anytime I see it, I'm like, oh, Marvin Harrison's getting the ball. So when he doesn't get the ball, I go, well, why didn't he get the ball there? I don't. And then maybe that's just me, though. Uh, Yeah. I, I No, I mean, nobody gets the ball every time. So I, I don't think just lining him up in the slot. It, it All of this is maximizing opportunities. It, it when they arise, right? It's it's not it's you're playing good teams, and when they give you an opening, you have to take it. Doesn't mean the opening is going to be there every single play, though. So that's all. Just remember that that I, I think that, and that's what yeah. they're striving for as an offense. That it's not a matter of because you don't want him forcing things. And there have been times where I absolutely think Common Court has been guilty of forcing things to Marvin Harrison Jr. Mm-hmm. Listen, he's mortal. I understand why he's trying to do that. I would probably try to do that too, especially times when there's, you know, the when the, maybe the pressure comes or or whatever. Like, why would you not try to get it to the best player in the country? It, it seems like both things. It's like, you know, people want, and I think this is reasonable, like fans want the offense to be designed to get the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. as much as possible. Yep. But they don't want Cal McCord to try to get the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. too much in like yes. an obvious way that makes it. And frankly, that's a that is a fair balance to pursue, right? And yeah. I, that I think that's what this offense is pursuing. So um, I would just remind people: three weeks. You got three weeks to figure this out. You got three <laughs> weeks. That, the, Marvin Harrison Jr. is already a Heisman Trophy candidate. They're really pumping yeah. that up now. Kyle Court, as you said, 11th in the country in passing yards per attempt. Trevion Henderson just came back and is putting things together. Kate Stover took a week off to try to get healthy. The offensive line is playing better. Mecca Abuka's back. You got some things to 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 potentially play with here. We did. We mm-hmm. got a text from someone who was, I think, critical of our post game pod. And although I'm not completely sure why, because I actually thought it was one of the less negative ones we had done. But I think their point was something yeah. like, well, with all these things back, we have like a top three offense. Ohio State has a top three offense. And I don't, I wouldn't go to that level. I can't get to that level. But I, I know what they're saying. That I think in terms of, maybe they have like a top three collection of skill position weapons. I don't know if the package is top three. But I think it's enough that you can, if you execute with those weapons and that balance, you can move the ball on Michigan and you can score touchdowns. It's just a matter of, of of cleaning things up over these next three weeks and getting everybody healthy. Maybe not top three, but it's a it's a package that if someone told me preseason, this is what Ohio State has, and 
they were going into a game where they have to score 35 plus points. I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's not a problem. This is before seeing it play out, obviously, but just hearing it on paper, it looks like it should be scoring at least 35 points a game. I think that's fair. Whether it's going to do it or not are two totally different things. One last thing. Offensive line, no penalties on Saturday, which is always impressive, though Josh Simmons clearly got away with a false start. So, I mean, that we got, was but like still. one of the most blatant non-calls <laughs> of the season, I thought. And listen, it happens. I mean, but and I'm sure there's somebody's going to ring in and say, no, 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 you forget the thing that got didn't get called that hurt Ohio State. I'm sure that's probably true. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, I it's one of the more like it's hard not to call a false start sometimes, especially when you're a tackle. Yeah. You're very visible as a tackle. <laughs> He's out there. Who's the guy from the Chiefs who it was like a thing that he kept getting, like he should have been getting false starts because he was taking yeah. off so early. That's what it felt like watching it. It's like, I mean, I guess, Josh, you got away with it. So, on paper, you know, the stats he says but, you had no penalties, but that was amazing. Yeah, but I mean, but listen, like all kidding aside, the, the bar for improvement was sort of low for the offensive line, right? You didn't have to do that much week to week, especially compared to early this year, to, to for it to be considered real improvement. And there was a point this year where you're like, okay, just be as adequate as you were this past week and just don't commit the penalties next week, and that'll seem like progress, right? And they couldn't quite do that. It's been very kind of uh, stop and start and like stutters and, and chugging their way along. But to both have a clean game like that, with an asterisk, but a clean game like that and – now start blocking the running the way that they are. And again, even if it is not one of the very best run defenses in the Big Ten, it's still a solid one. Um, th- this was this has been the progress that people have wanted. It's not the end result mm-hmm. that people want. I get that. It's not the end result that Ohio State wants. But it's been progress. It's they've They've done things in the run game. They've given you signs in the run game that should make you feel more confident that the run game will be better against Michigan than you thought it would have been a month ago. I thought it was the offensive line's best game. And outside of, I mean, Josh Fryer, that was a really bad whiff. You know, overall, I, okay, so I'm glad you brought that up because I thought so in real time. Also, they brought something up on the broadcast that I hadn't considered. And I'm, I want, so I walked with Kyle McCord just to ask him one more question. And that was a question mm-hmm. I wanted to ask him. I said, Hey, you and Josh Fryer came off the field talking. Um, what was that about? And after the sack, and he said, well, um, I just wanted to know what he saw. And I, he wanted to know what I saw. You know, he said something along the lines of, you know, in the NFL, they get to go sit down with like their iPads and stuff like that. We mm-hmm. don't have that. Like, we just have to go talk about what did you see? What did I see? Like, you just have to compare notes in real time. And I was yeah. like, oh, you're right. Like, I never thought of it that way. Um, and obviously, they've got the coaches and the headset that can tell them stuff, too. But he said it wasn't his fault. And that he also thought that Rutgers had just dialed up a pretty good blitz right there and just caught him. And it's mm-hmm. going to happen once in a while. But I also, when I watched on the on the replay, I hadn't caught it at the time. Because at the end of that play, Trevin Henderson was kind of turning around like palms up. Like, hey, what Like what, what was going on? They have they block it in such a way. Obviously, somebody did the wrong thing there. Because they blocked it in such a way yeah. that Matt Jones pins down with and like double teams with Carson Hensman. On somebody, I think he's wrong. And then, then Fryer gets, and then Fryer gets is just left alone. It, 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 apparently, right? But Trevor yeah. Henderson blocks to the left as well. Like he he sets up to block to the left. 
I think he was mm-hmm. supposed to be blocking the other way because they were already blocking with more linemen to that side. I think maybe he was supposed to block to the other side and he was just turned the wrong way and didn't see that guy coming. And by the time he did, it was too late. That's my theory uh, that I think is there because because Josh Fryer saw the blitz guy coming mm-hmm. and it didn't react to him because I think he had other responsibilities. He was, he was where he was supposed to be. I think. And McCord said it wasn't his fault. Now McCord, that may have just been, maybe it was completely his fault and McCord just didn't want to throw him under the bus, but he didn't tell me whose fault it was. I'm just saying this from watching it on the broadcast. I thought maybe that's what the miscue was that he, that Trevion was maybe supposed to just be turned the other way. And there was a miscommunication somewhere Either that or the double team was a miscommunication and, and Matt Jones wasn't supposed to be doing that. But that didn't that seemed like that part of it if you if you think of it that way, if you think of it, oh, the blocking back, if he had just been to McCord's right instead of his left, all of the rest of that makes sense. So it's Kyle McCord's fault then. And I know that's a simplification of everything you just said, but that's his job to identify yeah. it. Pre-snap, it could have been a, yeah. so. If that's the because that's a lot of things going wrong. I thought Matthew Jones made the wrong decision by going with the because one of the blitzers came right behind Matthew Jones as he's going to help out Carson Hensman that I think he should have picked up. So if yeah. that's because the, they only sit they sit two. So if Matthew Jones picks up that blitzer and then Travion Henderson picks up the outside blitzer, then protection is just taken care of. So if it, that's the case. That's on the quarterback pre-snap to pick that up. I think it may have been a, yeah, I I, I didn't think it was Matt, because the way that that was blocked, it didn't look like, it wasn't like Matt Jones had a beat and then decided which way to go. Like, that was how he blocked it, like, from from Jump Street. Like, he was just going on the snap that way. And then it left this gap, and Josh Fryer is there in space. And I think, man, it looks like he looks at the guy coming through, but then doesn't move. Because I yeah. think he thinks somebody behind him is picking that up. And I think you might be right yeah. that, that Trevion, again, like stands up and kind of looks around. So my guess is that it is either on McCord not setting the protection or Henderson or Carson. not making a recognition. Or, 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 Car- or Carson, Carson and McCord not- are kind of in tan- Hensley yeah. and McCord are kind of in tandem on that. I don't know. We're make, we're asking a lot of things here about just a just just this one play, but um, that in a nineteen point win, <laughs> we're just theorizing a lot of things. And honestly, I don't even know if it's worth asking about on Tuesday when we talked to those guys because um, it it was just one the one sack that they allowed against a good defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I thought it was a well timed blitz too, like the way that mm-hmm. they they did that. Um, so yeah. It's a yeah. This it's probably not worth asking about. It would make for an interesting like side discussion with them now that they've got the chance to go back and look at it. But that, that's interesting. That's weird that they don't have iPads on the sideline. But probably not. They also don't have mic in their helmets, and that's why we're in a sign stealing allegation with Michigan right now. But anyway, they don't have yeah. They don't <laughs> have a mic in their helmets. I guess they. I'm not even sure they're allowed to put the headset on. And are they allowed to put the headset on and talk to guys up, upstairs? I'm actually not even sh- yeah really I, sure I, about that. I think so. I, I think, think they so, are maybe because, allowed to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I've seen C- Justin Fields and CJ do it in the past. So I think you are when well, you're not allowed to field talk to people up there. Right. Um, now, obviously, Maybe. when your quarterback's coach is in the booth, but the guy who actually coaches the quarterbacks is on the field, you don't necessarily have to do that as much. But uh, yeah, but also Todd Fitch. Somebody in the text asked us who the gray haired person that was that keeps yeah, talking yeah. to Comic Court. That's Todd Fitch. So uh, there's a lot of quarterback minds on Ohio State staff right now who are helping 
with these quarterbacks on a year-to-year basis. So that's probably part of the reason Corey Dennis is upstairs is Day's already downstairs, plus Todd Fitch can handle some of the, you know, talking to guys when they come off the field conversations. So all those minds in there, just think, keep that in mind. It's not just Ryan Day. It's just the only quarterback mind that's on Ohio State's roster. He's the main one, but he's not the only one on the staff. Well, let's take I mean, a here, break but there. Again, to, sorry, just to, to, to your point, though, like one sack, we're sitting here, like we just spent like too long yeah. talking about one sack. <laughs> and, and a game where they ran the ball very, yeah. very, very consistently. And, and including for like some semi-explosive stuff. Like that's what you needed. That's what they had to do to continue on the progression to where they need to be at Michigan. Not saying yesterday, if you take that and teleport it to Michigan is good enough to beat Michigan Saturday. I mean, but I'm mm-hmm. saying it is, it's on the road to that. Like it's now, what do you do the next week? What do you do the next week? And then what do you finally do in Ann Arbor? Yeah. We're being over critical, but that's like part of covering Ohio State football. I, that's not, win games I, I don't team. think we're being critical. Really, well, we were overly uh, analytical yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's that's past this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is too much football talk. Too much football talk. That's fine. Okay, let's take a break there and let's let's flip it to defense. Where another good day, but just some interesting things that I think are worthy worthy to point out in this in this game. So we'll get into that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Get the text 614-350-3315. Maybe we'll get over Leah analytical in the text some more because why not? Two-week free trial. Get the overly analytical text 614-350-3315. Two-week free trial, 399 after that. Nathan, Greg Schiano did one of the smartest things I've seen a coach who went up against Ohio State do all year. First play of the game, I'm going at Jermaine Matthews because there's a true freshman on the field, and let's see if he's up for the challenge. It didn't work, but 
yeah, that's what you should be doing when there's a true freshman on the field in place of a guy who was playing at borderline All-American level. So shout out to Greg Schiano for that. But also, Jermaine Matthews held his own. I didn't really notice him, both in live or in the rewatch, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, this was not a game where you were going to (laughs) get challenged very much as a defensive back from a passing standpoint. Gavin Wimsatt's an interesting athlete and may in time develop into Mm -hmm. a more interesting quarterback. And it was funny talking to the Rutgers guys because like, oh, he's just got he's just got a beautiful arm. And then he drops back and he'll just throw it like where three yards over a guy's head it's like and then we saw it like immediately and i like looked down and like oh that is that what you're talking about he's like yeah it was um there was man there was that play some of the red zone stuff where they he threw one into the corner that i it looked like he was starting to throw it up into one of the tubas up in the crowd like um so you know good luck to him as he tries to refine that game because he does have some skills as a runner and there are times when he throws the ball and it's kind of pretty but uh, there's also times when he throws the ball and it doesn't look like he has any any concept of where that ball is going to go. Um, no, I thought pass defense, I really didn't, you know, I know they had some PIs, um, but there wasn't a lot there that like stood out to me as, as super problematic, especially when you start thinking about, well, this isn't the defense that they expect to have. You know, Jermaine Matthews is not supposed to be the guy that you play at corner to beat Michigan. And the reason that Denzel Burke mm-hmm. didn't play Saturday, partially, um, well, maybe he may just not been able to play that. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that you're trying to get him back. So mm-hmm. Jeremy Matthews doesn't have to be the guy. Um, he was, I thought fine. Um, you know, Malik Hartford didn't have a great game. I didn't think, especially from a tackling standpoint. Um, I didn't know that Jordan, I don't think that Jordan Hancock had a great game overall. Uh, also, from a tackling I it was standpoint, up and down. yeah, very I mean, up and I mean, down with him. It, 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 now the ups were high. I mean, you know, yeah. having the awareness to pull that ball out of the air and take it ninety-three yards the other way. I am not, uh, I am not poo-pooing that. Like that was legitimately a great mm-hmm. play and a huge play at the time. I mean, they're they're down, and by doing that, now they take the lead and never give it back. So obviously, huge play, critical play, good, great play, but. Other facets of the game I thought lacked a little bit, and we noticed it in real time that we thought that they, there were just some missed tackles and some missed coverages. There was a coverage where they had him toasted down the, the sideline, and if, mm-hmm. if Tyreek Williams didn't get a hand in in, in Gavin Wimsatt's face uh, right before he was throwing that, um, then it might have only been... <laughs> no, I'm. It, maybe he would have completed. I was starting to make a bad joke about how it would have been, been less <laughs> over his head, but still over his head. Um, but he might that one. It might have been enough that they, they could have made that play because he had the receiver. I don't remember which receiver it was, but he he had Hancock pretty cooked there. So there there were definitely some things in the back end of this secondary that were uh, you raised an eyebrow at, and that's okay because it wasn't going to cost you against this opponent most likely, and it's not the guys that are supposed to be doing it for you and the guys that you think uh, that you want on the field for um, for the biggest game of the year and that you're hoping to get back for the biggest game of the year. I mean, it was a point in this game where they don't bring Denzel Burke, who is 
I'm certain right now a, a strong candidate for Big Ten defensive back of the year if if he's able mm-hmm. to play enough games, right? Eh, it'll probably be Cooper DeJean, but I mean he'll he'll be in the conversation, right? Um mm-hmm. potential potential all American lists. Lathan Ransom. I don't know if he'll be like potential all American lists this year, but certainly an all Big Ten player doesn't make the trip. Definitely. Josh Proctor, having a great year for you. Sixth year senior, savvy and tough and all those things. Uh doesn't play the second half of this game after after that pick six play. Um you know, it just started to pile up a little bit in the secondary, and you're starting to turn to guys who each one of these guys, like Jermaine Matthews, Malik Hartford, it's almost always been in the context of he's the one guy that they need to play today while the rest of the starting defense is intact, right? Mm-hmm. But now when you start putting two, three of those guys on the field together, it stretches yeah. things. And Sonny Styles is playing a little bit. I wouldn't say he's playing out of position, but he hasn't been playing bandit all season, and now he is. So just little things like that, it was a little bit of a discombobulated secondary, I think contributed to some of the things that we saw. Yeah, that's a health thing. They got to get healthy back there. And the good thing is they're not going to play a team who's going to really test their secondary for a little bit here. So they've got some time to get healthy. I want to switch to the front end because I'm about to be hypocritical. We, maybe me more than anyone else on this pod has been, play your best guys more, play your best guys more, play your best guys more. And I even talk, we even talked about it after the Notre Dame game, how JT Tuimaloa and Jack Sawyer played every single snap at defensive end. And I thought that was a great thing because it worked off and it paid off at the end of that game. With that being said, and I want to say this while also acknowledging that Rutgers has a very good run game. Kyle Monagai is a very good running back. 24 carries for 159 yards. I thought he was, even if you take away that 45-yarder on the trick play, I thought he was having a pretty pretty decent day. So I want to no, say this with, with credit to them and what they do offensively. Last season, JT Trimaloa led all defensive linemen in snaps. He played four, 503 snaps in 13 games. Teron Vincent led all interior defensive linemen in, def, in snaps. He played 489 snaps in 13 games. We're nine games into the season. JT Tuimaloao has already played 493 snaps. Tyleek Williams has played 460 snaps. Should Ohio State take advantage of the next two weeks and play JT, Jack, Tyleek, and Mike less and start to rotate guys like Hero Canoe, Kenyatta Jackson, Caden McDonald, Caden Curry, maybe even go a little deeper than that on the interior and get some of these guys some rest. Because I do feel like while Rutgers, once again, very quality run game, it felt like Ohio State's defensive line wore down a little bit. And it's because they played close to 500 snaps in nine weeks. Uh, I think that's a concern. I, and, and Larry Johnson's rotation all these years has not necessarily been about just um, getting guys to the fourth quarter. It's been about getting guys to week 12 and 13 and 16 and whatever, mm-hmm. 15. Um, it's about these guys having juice at the end of the year. And I think there are two things. Number one, guys like, you know, Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry and Hero Canoe and Caden McDonald, like it, it hasn't been completely just behind the scenes. I think Hero Canoe played like 12 snaps uh, against Rutgers. Like it's mm-hmm. he's getting into games and making plays and, and looking like he belongs there for the most part. And so that's part of it. It's like getting guys experience, letting them prove it, and then just giving them more responsibility after that. Uh, the other part of this is they could really use a game where the offense really clicks. They need a more efficient game from the offense. 
They need a more efficient yeah. game from the offense where you're not in the third quarter thinking, man, man, you don't, those 10 points that they left on the field would really feel, make this game uh, feel differently right now, right? You know, it mm-hmm. needs to be. And now, uh, <laughs> good news is the team in the, in the Ryan Day era that they have most consistently done that against is about to come to Ohio Stadium next Saturday night. I think they've <laughs> outscored, they've outscored. Michigan State something like 181 to 49 or something crazy like that uh, in the past four years. It wasn't just CJ. It was they did it with Fields too. Like they've just been whooping mm-hmm. up on these guys. Uh, people remember the game up in East Lansing. I'm sure during the COVID year that was you know they didn't even have their like one fifth of their starting offensive line or whatever, and they just laid waste to them. Yeah, like, Michigan State just doesn't have offensive talent that threatens you, and uh, it's going to be. I think pretty bad. Although they did just snap their six game losing streak and, and beat Nebraska at home. Yay. On Saturday. Um, but this is kind of, maybe this is the week that maybe something like that needs to happen. Like you go out and you have a really crisp, like five touchdown first half. And now you've, you've really opened things up so that nobody even cares what's going on in the late third, all of the fourth quarter of a game. And you can let this second string defense be the guys who carry you home. Um, now it's getting a little complicated because you got so many injuries that that some of those second stringers are having to play uh, big minutes right now, big or big big snaps. But I think you know what I'm getting at here. Like there's there's mm-hmm. it's 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 a cohesive thing. Like the more you can go in and just really open up things, then you can get some of these these other guys the break that they they need at this point. I mean, JT Tumalowau was banged up a little bit in the game. Um, was slow to get up after one play. Had his hand iced after the game. We don't know yet the extent of anything with Tommy Eichenberg, and who knows when we'll you know we'll keep trying. But we, sometimes those things they keep him pretty guarded. And um, Day may disclose things Tuesday. He may not. Um, he talked very cryptically almost about the um, status of Lathan Ransom and, and Denzel Burke, and when they might come back, or if they might come back. Like he he definitely sounded like very open-ended what the um, prognosis is there. So, and, and Proctor looks like he's fine. So that, that's one of the five, but that's still four more. It's a third of your defense, uh, important guys that you have questions about going into a week like this. So yes, I mean, long-winded way, yes. I think they need to, the offense needs to do its part and and be more efficient and not leave points out there. And also not put the defense in a bad position to where you have to have your best guys out there because they keep having to defend, you know, short fields that weren't their fault. Yeah. But uh, but also, I think that it would – and you may even see it. Like, I, I just don't understand, like, why you wouldn't. Like, oh, Hero Canoe is out there in the first quarter for a series or whatever. Like, you know, you can, you can mix some guys in and probably not cost yourself a ton – um, against an opponent like, especially this one that's coming up, Minnesota. I have a little bit more like grudging respect for, just because uh, the coaching staff and they they've had some more recent years that are a little bit more successful. I just think Michigan State shouldn't pose you any threat on Saturday, to where you I, couldn't I, the, do the, that. Yeah, the reason I'm bringing, I mean, Rutgers ran 13 more plays than Ohio State did and had the ball for 10 more minutes. And to your point, some of that was extra possessions because. Interception, uh, special team snafu. Ohio State, their defense had to play in some really high leverage moments on Saturday, more than they maybe should have had to play. And they showed up in every single one of those situations. But I am worried about 
with this defense against Michigan, I'm not worried about its talent and its ability to stop Michigan at this point. I am worried about its ability to sustain for four quarters against a team who, quite frankly, is going to do some of the same things that Rutgers did on Saturday, and that's run the ball with two guys who are super talented and then maybe spring a couple shots on you with J.J. McCarthy. But they're going to try to run the ball on you. And if it's 450 left in the third quarter and Tyleek Williams and J.T. Chumaloao and Mike Hall and Ty Hamilton are winded because they've played 600 snaps this year, and now they're in another high-leverage game where they have to be the reason this team wins, I do wonder if that's how a explosive play happens. It's because Michigan's offensive line wore down a already worn-down defensive line, and it's not a, a coverage bust. It's not a bad play call. It's just, look, man, one team's fresher so, than the other team. <laughs> yeah, so two things. I mean, Larry Johnson tracks this stuff pretty diligently. He's got mm-hmm. a, a, one of the um, managers, I think, that um, that he trusts that is there with him all game is like tracking snaps. So he knows how much everybody's playing. And obviously they monitor it over the course of a year. So I think that they're very cognizant of who's played how much and what they want to do playing time-wise here in these next couple of weeks. The other thing to remember is you can also back off of practice reps, especially for veteran guys. So if you're talking about just things like energy and like general wear and tear, you can back off of that during the week, especially if a guy is already a little bit banged up and you think he can play Saturday, but you want him to be as good as possible on Saturday. You can back off of that. So maybe, maybe hero canoe and Caden McDonald and Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry and whoever else are taking more snaps with the ones in practice in this coming week than, and maybe the next week than they were in any of the previous weeks. And, you know, taking snaps away from some guys who don't need as many practice reps at this point to be ready to beat a team like Michigan State or Minnesota on on a Saturday. I'm probably going to ask Jim Knowles about that on, on Tuesday. It's probably worth asking about uh, because, I mean, it's enough banged up guys at this point. That's it's, it's, all, it's actually the only concern I have about the defense because everything else I thought was pretty quality. I thought Cody Simon, when he came in, he played quality. I thought Steel Chambers was quality. Any <laughs> – Anything that stood out to you defensively, Nathan, from this game, especially in the rewatch? Well, there there were missed tackles. There were a decent number of missed tackles. They mm-hmm. by by the PFF count, Ohio State came into the game averaging like seven point seven five missed tackles per game, and they credited them with ten on Saturday. So, and now I think <laughs> I think those those three extra might have all been on the the cousin of the fumble ruski thing that they ran the handoff <laughs> between his legs and and the run that he had after that um because i think you probably credit one at the line of scrimmage and then there was somebody who missed one mm-hmm. at the second level and then davis nigmanosin really had to tussle with him for a while to get him down finally so it's again it's a team with that has run the ball successfully this year rutgers has that running back's good um and that had two weeks to prepare for how they wanted to attack. So all those things are true. Um, but it, 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 it's, and, and, and all the injury things are true too. I'm not trying to make excuses. I think they needed, they need to defend tighter than that. They're going to have to defend tighter than that against Michigan. You know, you, you said earlier, like Michigan's going to try to run the ball against Ohio state. Well, like Michigan's going to run the ball on Ohio state. Like sure. they're, they're gonna, 
they're gonna they're gonna run four touchdowns against Ohio State. It's just a matter of how many. How do you limit them? Do you you know are you making them march for those drives? Are you then tightening up uh, at some point in those drives? Like you're making them really work for the yards that they're getting, and that's something that Ohio State has done to literally every single opponent so far, um, even yesterday. And and it's it's funny because the third down or the I'm sorry the red zone performance by that defense yesterday was somewhat remarkable. And maybe if Wimsat mm-hmm. was farther along in his development, he could have done some things and and it would have been a problem. I don't know. But um, I had the numbers. I actually don't have them in front of me. But like the, the, the third down performance overall, sorry, I keep saying third down, the red zone performance by this defense overall was, I do have the numbers. I found the numbers. I figured them up on my plane. It's not my plane. I don't own it. The plane I, I was, don't know that. Was, plan I was riding on. Uh, so however many red zone possessions Rutgers had, they ran they had eight carries for 19 yards, and that includes the sack of that Ty Hamilton had at the end of the game that knocked mm-hmm. that down. But so, so you're talking about two and a half yards per carry that Ohio mm-hmm. State allowed in the red zone. And in three of nine passing with one interception with 32 total yards and a touchdown. But that's less than, that's like three and a half yards per attempt passing. Like that's, now I've used the word fool's gold before this season. Oh, God. Like, okay. <laughs> is that fool's gold? Like, oh, what an amazing... And then, like, they had the same thing at Wisconsin. Like, the big uh. the big stand, like, right before halftime. It's like, oh, like, these great red zone stands by this defense, but against offenses that aren't anywhere near what, what Michigan is. And, like, you've got to both as a defense and an offense, and in the special teams unit, apparently, not put this defense in that position as much as possible against Michigan, because um, the more like Michigan's not going to fire three blanks, four blanks, six blanks in the red zone. If you keep giving them that many red zone possessions, you've got to limit the number of times that they get down there. And, and then you do have to stiffen, but it, 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 this offense is going to have to score multiple touchdowns uh, because Michigan's going to score multiple touchdowns. I was getting ready to bring up a point about Ohio state's dominance in the red zone. This year, they're tied for 15th, 45.45% touchdown conversion rate. But then I saw Michigan's. <laughs> First of all, they've only allowed nine red zone attempts yeah. all year. Yeah. And only yeah. one of them, no, 11, and only one of them has turned into a touchdown. Michigan, I really need you to play a football game. I, this is going to be an interesting pitch State game on Saturday because I just oh, need them to yeah. play a real football game because I can't do it anymore. These numbers are just so skewed that it's it's just – they've been so dominant. And then you go look at their schedule and it's like, well, that's why it's been so dominant. But also, they're you know, also a really good football team. <laughs> Well, listen, I and I've said it here. I said it after the game on Saturday. Like I've been trying to make sure people know, like Michigan is really, really, really good. But then I saw people on Twitter, like um, or whatever it's called now, X. Saw people on X. No, I'm not gonna say that. I saw people on Twitter. This is like yeah. people who still call the the giant stadium Candlestick Park. Like no matter who they sold the naming rights to, like mm-hmm. it's just Twitter. Um, but I saw people there who were like during that Michigan Purdue game. They're like, oh, this this Michigan team might just be the best. I mean, man, just wow, just wow. And I'm like, what are we comparing? What? But 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 they've played nobody. And I know that they beat Rutgers in a more like efficient, convincing way than Ohio State did. I know that that and that means a little something. But like this 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 crowning that is happening to them before they've played legitimately like anybody yeah, of man. substance. And and with everything else that's going on around Michigan, 
it has to like make you look a little askew at any result. I mean, this game, it was that that, that Purdue game was like twenty to three at halftime, I think, right? And then it was twenty to six, and then it was twenty mm-hmm. to six longer than I expected it to be twenty to six, and then it kind of <laughs> they ended up winning. But forty-one thirteen or whatever. I I just I don't know. I I I'm trying. I'm really caught on this like fence post of like you have to respect these results. Like they've been yeah. dominant both sides of the ball, and they they are crushing teams at, at the lower middle level of the Big Ten the way Ohio State is not. Correct. So that's fair. I would just say like I'm getting some like twenty twenty one vibes. Maybe I'm maybe I'm allowing myself to have 2021 vibes because I'm always look as a writer you're always looking for storylines. But you remember like 2021, Ohio State was the team that after it got past the Oregon thing was like laying waste to people in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. And Michigan like had lost to Michigan State, and then Ohio yeah. State goes out and just makes Michigan State look like a MAC team. Sorry, yeah, and like and it's just like just you know, and then so that set the stage for that game. And then, then that game unfolds the way it does. And it was clearly which team was better that day. There's no question. So, like, could the similar thing be happening here where it's like, well, Michigan's going to just crush this, you know, we'll see what happens against Penn State. But, like, they're just, like, laying waste to a, such a weak schedule. Not that Ohio State's 21-21 schedule was weak. But I'm just saying, and, and Ohio State had a more workmanlike approach to get into that game. But then still ended up with the upper hand. I think that's still that's that has to be a thing that's on the table right here. But yes, it doesn't look as clean and as crisp and as like perfect, but my thought that Ohio State has a chance to win that game is not really decreasing that much since it has at the start of the year. I think there's something to that. And that might be a pot in its own right. And this has already been an hour, so but Michigan had to be on for eleven weeks heading into the Ohio State Michigan game and 2021 and so they didn't have to flip it back on when it was came to that game they just had to keep doing what they had been doing and that's just be on and after Ohio State lost to Oregon and then CJ got healthy they were just kind of like you said land waste the team and I don't think they had to necessarily always be on to do it because if you remember that Nebraska game CJ wasn't all that good and the defense kind of won the game but then there were weeks where the defense wasn't all that good and the offense it didn't matter because CJ Stroud, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, the Jigba. What are you going to do about that? Which that's my that's a, that's another thing for the Kyle McCord thing. Kyle McCord is not CJ Stroud, but also the collection of Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, and Julian Fleming is not the collection that is Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith, the Jigba. The ceiling on this one is higher because Marvin's the best one of the group, but two through four are probably Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith, the Jigba. And then you get to a Mecca Buka, and then you get to there's probably a, then a gap yeah. before you get to yeah. Julian Fleming. So that that's at play as well too. But to, back to your point, there is something to that to where Michigan's just kind of cruising along while the other team is already having to play rock fights. So when one you both get on the field and now you both have to do a rock fight, one of them is used to be in a rock fights and the other one is not. I think there's something interesting there, and we'll continue to explore that, of course, because that's the only thing that matters at this point is what make those two teams get on the field, especially after Saturday when Ohio State plays Penn State. I mean, Michigan plays Penn State if they win that game. Last thing, now that we've seen it back again with the special team snafu. So Rutgers was doing some weird stuff and how they were lining up on punt coverage, and I'm starting to wonder if that played a role into how Ohio State was doing things on punt in general because they would overload one side yeah and then yeah. right before the snap change and i didn't notice that in real time and i am wondering if 
Ohio State over adjusted to what Rutgers was doing, and it led to a situation like on that fake punt that actually wasn't a fake punt, where they over they ended up showing a look that looked like a fake punt when they probably shouldn't have done any of that. You know, Ryan Day said after the game because he got a follow up that was like, "Can you go into more detail about what the miscommunication mm-hmm. was?" And he's like, "I'm not going to do that now. Maybe we'll talk about it on Tuesday after I've talked to everybody." By which he means Parker Fleming and Jesse Mirko, I, I assume. Yep. And I, so watching it again, because we talked, we talked about it after the game. Andrew had brought up the point, like, well, it wasn't just Mirko. It looked like the up men, like, immediately started blocking. And when I looked at a replay, I would say that is not the case. I thought they were blocking in a pretty standard way for a guy who does, like, rugby style stuff. They blocked mm-hmm. to me as if they were keeping guys off of a guy who was going to punt, not that they needed to get out in front and lead like a, a fullback or a pulling guard or whatever. And that mm-hmm. left Xavier Johnson to like sort of desperately have to block the edge guy, which is how he got like every flag in the building thrown at him for a hold. And there were still three other guys. Like it was, I I just want to know an explanation of what in their setup at that, at that juncture of the field with that many yards to go, and Jesse Mirko as the guy running to try to beat those guys, the, the, half the defense, to the edge. Like, what what chain of events makes that the right call in anybody's mind? Like, I don't understand. Uh, and it, it was reminiscent of what happened against Rutgers last year. Because in that, I remember talking in the in the booth that night that, like, I think that was a case because the problem there wasn't that he did something that wasn't uh, strategically or um, fundamentally correct. Like he actually, he did the right thing. If it it had been another, if it had happened in the first quarter, uh, there would have been a bunch of stories written about, oh, this brilliant play by the Mm -hmm. punter who like totally read, like he did exactly what he was supposed to do as the rugby style punter. And he's rolling out and he sees the thing. And when he sees that thing, that means he goes and he went and it's first down. Like that's exactly what he's supposed to do. Um, But it, but because of the juncture of the game, it happened that, and Ryan Day kind of like joked about it later, but like, that's what started the whole like bad feelings thing there. Cause like, there's not. Just, just punt the ball away. You've already beaten this team. You're mm-hmm. not proving anything by getting that first down. You're not helping anything. And that, to me, was just a lack of like awareness by a guy who didn't grow up playing American football. And it sort of excused that at the time because mm-hmm. he was a guy who didn't grow up playing American football. It was still relatively new to it, figuring out those nuances. But if that's any part of like why that still happened on Saturday, that can't happen. Like that's it's for him or for his coach. Like it's been too long. So I just want to know what the miscommunication was that led to all of that. But I mean, it's just been, you could tell that Ryan day and you could tell before Saturday because <laughs> he's been getting one a week. It's like, he's it's over. the, yeah. it's, he's just tired of like, they're, they're nine to know the rank number one, in the college football playoff thing. And somebody every week has to come in legitimately because it's our job and say, yep. what happened on this special teams thing? Like this doesn't make sense to us. And like that. So this is this week's you've had like a missed extra point. You had the ball that bounced up and hit Lorenzo Stiles because he didn't hear that he was being told to get away from the ball. You had the punt snap that didn't get off the ground and like rolled to Cody Simon, who's now stuck trying to be a, running back all of a sudden like and now and and i said it same thing i said after the game like i i just 
Um, and Ryan Day, like this is a question that I'd love to know his answer to. I just don't know if he'll give a good enough one that it's worth asking him because he's. It would be it would be divulging too much of like a, a game plan. But it's like, do you have confidence in dialing up a, a trick play at this point? Like, I don't know if that's not a. I think that's a fair thing to ask at this point. I think so. I think this it's, outright. It's do you have an, confidence? It's definitely in a it. thing I want to know the answer to. I will say that. Like whether I think, <laughs> uh, whether I think he'd actually I mean, answer it, I don't know. I mean, we're going back. It's it's literally almost been a calendar year since these special teams issues have started. Because even but even before that, we go back to Emeka. They're lining up Emeka Buka too far out in front, and so now he's having to catch it over his shoulder and against Rutgers again. It's why Rutgers scored. Well, Early in that now, game. Uh, now, that, so, now, the the, the Abuka thing where he was lining up, like, Ryan Day didn't say, I don't know why we're doing that. Like, Ryan Day agreed with that. He, he like, that was almost answer. like Ryan yeah. Day's thing. So, like, I'm not throwing that in. If you want to ding Parker Fleming for that, uh, that one had the full endorsement of the head coach. Um, That's fair. But these other things, these other things are not um, – they didn't like talk through the thing that then happened with Lorenzo Styles. It's just a thing that happened. They didn't talk through missing an extra point. It just happened. They didn't talk through the snap right. that never got off the ground. Like these are all just like flubs that keep happening. And it's afflicted every little piece. I forgot the punt return that Michigan or that Wisconsin had that like was a big field flip in that game. And uh just any one of these things, it's 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 tough because nobody plays perfect and we we look at a play like what happened in the on the, on the non-fake fake punt and it's like maybe that was a guy who kind of took things into his own hands and just made the wrong decision and it went bad but like and and so with the world kind of comes crashing down on the special teams coach but it's like when a defensive lineman takes a shot at a guy and gets a personal foul I don't think we blame like Larry Johnson for that or Jim Knowles. We say that was a dumb thing that the guy did. So I just I'm waiting to find out what the full explanation was on this punt before I'm before it all comes down on Parker Fleming's shoulders. But to some extent, it's been so re- repeated. Yes, and and because now we're going to start repeating ourselves because I've been saying for three years that this configuration of the staff doesn't make sense. And if, if this configuration of staff doesn't make sense, if you're giving up something in order to have this special teams coordinator, then the it special teams has be to be really coordinated, good. has to be coordinated better than it is. It's just not coordinated cleanly and sharply enough. Um, it, we talk too much, as we said last week, we talk too much about the things that are going wrong with special teams with very little interruption of the things that are going right. And maybe the things that go right just aren't very loud. They're just boring consistency. but if you're if you're this loud with negative stuff, you have to counter it with something loud on the other side. And last year they were blocking punts. Lathan Ransom broke his yep. thumb going up and blocking punts and stuff. And you know this year Arvel Reese had the play on Saturday. Maybe it was a smart play where he just like pulls up and stops before he because he doesn't want to get a penalty. I think for mm-hmm. crashing into the punter. So okay, I get it. But like again, it's like you're <laughs> you're 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 like opening your mouth to shout and nothing's coming out. And then, and then later, you're screaming uh, in a negative way. So I don't know. I am all for a world where the things that go right in special teams you are just quiet, and we don't know about them because you're only 
They're like five plays, five to seven plays a game. We shouldn't be worried about you at all. That's my only issue with it. We shouldn't be having any attention on it at all. It should just be this thing that happens. And then we get back to offense and defense. But let's have some fun with this. From the 513. They sent this in, so I just thought we could include it here to have some fun. Fake, fake punt uh, hypothesis. His first one, or her, Ohio State had no intention of faking that punt, but they came out with fake punt personnel so that down the road it wouldn't raise alarms later when they wanted to use it. Which, I don't hate. I don't hate this this hypothesis. Because Kirby Smart sniffed it out when they tried to do something fake in the Peach Bowl. and then And, you know, so why not? Why not have some fun with it and show it so that it just looks like your normal fake punt? It just looks like normal punt. I like it. And then the second one, and then I'll let you respond, Nathan. But wait, but then but no, then but, they did run but then they did run it. So it looks like they ran true. a fake punt with their fake punt personnel. And like Ryan Day later saying, Well, that wasn't a fake, doesn't isn't gonna throw anybody off the scent if it really was a fake. And that's and that's their second point. But by exposing that personnel package in Rutgers, not only did they hurt themselves versus Rutgers, but they also can't use it later when they potentially need it. So they they, they, they were in line with that. I just thought it was it's like maybe I, I don't think it would be, it, it's I don't hate it if you were just trying to show you know your punt personnel that just looks like your normal punt personnel. But to their second point, to the point you just made, then don't actually fake a punt. And if you go, but it, it, on top of that, don't actually fake a punt that then fails. That's enough special teams talk. It's, it's, it's taken up too much of our time the last couple well, of weeks. No, but, and- uh, it's, it, no, it has, but it's, 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 you're about to be, it's about to be like one versus two, two versus three, one versus three, yeah. some combination of that in yeah. three weeks, probably unless Penn state catches them, catches Michigan this week to decide the whole dang thing. Like, you cannot go into that game. You can go in hoping that if Ohio State loses, they'll still make the playoff. You can't go in expecting that. Like This is an elimination game they're playing in three weeks, and you can't mm-hmm. be skipping punt snaps off the ground and clanging extra points off the off the goalposts. And those that's what that's what Purdue does. Purdue missed all those field goals against Ohio State. Like that's that's the level that Purdue's at. Ohio State is supposed to be operating at a level above that. That's what they tell us. That's what these guys are are paid to do. I don't know if they pay. I'm, they they may not pay defensive and offensive coordinators at Penn, at Ohio State what they pay the special teams coordinator at at Ohio State. At, excuse me. So like, you know, get get it together. Like this can't be. You can't be this loose with it in three weeks. If you're if you're and again, like in both of the last two, both of the biggest games of last season, they wanted to run a fake thing, and both times it was not set up right or executed right to be successful. And now with all these flubs, like if you really wanted to have the element of surprise and pull something on Michigan and you're Ryan Day, like it takes guts to call those plays, like to call those fakes, like to to have to take that risk, that calculated risk. And how is he going to calculate that risk in the moment? So Nathan, I, I I don't know if you guys have been hearing him cough, but clearly the special teams talk is making him sick to his stomach. That, <laughs> Sorry. So that's all it is. It's all it is. It's just special teams talk. I, let's just kind of end it there. I thought we covered a lot of good stuff in that pod. As you're listening to this, Andrew and I are recording our recruiting pod for Tuesday. We're still working on some subjects there. But stay tuned for that because in the next week and a half or so, we're going to be doing a recruiting pod of Ohio State versus Michigan and really just looking at the differences and how they go about building their rosters and how that comes to 
fruition on Saturdays during the actual regular season because what Ohio State's good at recruiting and what Michigan is good at recruiting are two very different things, but they both do it at a high level. So that, that pod is coming very soon. So get the text 614-350-3315 and continue to stay with us on that recruiting pod because I think that's going to be a really inter- interesting discussion when we have this. And then on Tuesday, we'll be back in the woody talking with Ryan Day and Jim Knowles about special team stuff. Maybe we get Parker Fleming this week. It probably is about time for us to talk to Parker Fleming, given the amount of issues that's going on there. But we're for sure going to be talking with Ryan Day and Jim Knowles as they prepare to take on Michigan on Saturday. Week 11, game 10 for Ohio State on Saturday. I think that game's at 730. So if you want to watch the Michigan-Penn State game at noon, you can do that to see if it's officially going to be a top-four matchup between Ohio State and Michigan on November 25th. And then you can check out the Ohio State Michigan State game at 7.30 where they're going to be – I think they're debuting new jerseys, some gray jerseys in that game as well. So maybe we'll give some thoughts on that this week as well. But that will wrap it up for this Buckeye Talk. For Nathan Baird, for myself, and Andrew, who's not on this pod, but for him too, I'm, I'm, I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy who wants teams to be better at doing special teams. And that was Buckeye Talk.